Chapter 3 The Old Testament Prodigal by John McNeil My text is Psalm 119, verses 59 and 60. I thought on my ways, and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. I made haste, and delayed not to keep thy commandments. That is what I call the Old Testament story of the prodigal son. All that you have in the New Testament, with the circumstances and details, is condensed into this brief abstract from the man who wrote the Psalms. I thought on my ways. This is explained in detail in the New Testament, but here it is implied rather than expressed. However, both there and here, you have the history of a man who once lived at home, but who wandered away into shame and folly. Then, when he came to himself, he went back again, to all blessedness, for this world and the next. This would have done splendidly as a headstone to set over the grave of the returned prodigal of Christ's story when he died. For Christ has told us about the young man so vividly that we have long ago stopped seeing him as a mere lay figure in a story. He has become real to us, and I often suppose that after this young fellow came home, he stayed home, and did well, and perhaps eventually got the whole estate into his hands. He outlived his father and his elder brother, and at last, filled with honors, he lay down and died. When you think of him dead and buried, and if they put up headstones there as we do here, we cannot imagine anything more appropriate to inscribe upon the tombstone of the departed prodigal than from our text. Here lies one who thought on his ways, and turned his feet unto God's testimonies, and made haste, and delayed not to keep his commandments. This is the record of an experience. May the Lord grant that we may find, as we go through it, that we are occupying ourselves with our own experience. And if it has not been so with ourselves until now, may we begin the experience recorded here at once. Spiritual Diaries To change the illustration, this text is an entry in the spiritual diary of the man who wrote the Psalms. It is one of those little autobiographical touches that make the Psalms so true and give them their perennial interest. They so often, like all true poetry, come down to our level, and we say, I might have said that myself, like Columbus and the egg, it is quite easy if you know how. I thought on my own ways, and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. I made haste, and delayed not to keep thy commandments. I might have said that myself. I hope I can say it myself, now that David and the Holy Spirit behind him have started me. Do you keep a diary? Whether you do or not, God does. Has God had good reason to write in that impartial record of your life, that he is keeping such an entry as this on a particular day? Possibly. Only God knows. For as a man may be born and not be able to tell either the place or the hour, but the fact of his existence is conclusive that it happens somehow, sometime, so a man may be born again and not know the time nor the place. But does God know? That is the point. Has the fact happened of your spiritual birth, of your conversion, and of your return to God? 
Has he had good reason to enter in the record that he keeps some such entry as this, that on such and such a day you, John Brown, thought on your ways, turned your feet, and made haste, and did not delay to return to God in Christ for pardon and eternal life? It is time the record was in, for in the case of the best of us, naturally speaking, there are enough dark and shameful entries to make that record bitter reading in the day when the judgment will be set and the books opened, and the dead judged out of the things that are written in the book. Revelation 20, verse 12. That red-letter entry will redeem the record, and it is time it was there. I am not a prodigal. But I can imagine somebody saying, Ah, this does not apply to me. The preacher is evidently going to give a discourse based upon the prodigal son. And you say that you are not a prodigal. My friend, you have wandered away. You are either on the outgoing journey from God, headed into ever-deepening darkness, or you are on the ingoing journey back to God, and holiness and heaven. Wandering from God is not something any of us still are to do, for the wandering is already done. The great question is, have we started heading home? We go astray from the womb. We could not go earlier, but we go then. We are born wrong. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, verse 6. Some of us go blundering on through the mud and mire of drunkenness, swearing, immorality, and open sinning. That is our way to the far country. Some of us go along the paved road of self-righteousness, church-going, and sermon-hearing. That is our way to the same outer darkness. On which path are you? Consider the path of your feet. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Haggai 1, verse 7. Thinking from oneself. Now when we come to this tremendously astonishing experience for every soul that ever was born, there are two or three things in it, and I want you to notice them. First of all, notice that in this experience of the psalmist, so succinctly but expressively described here, is a man first of all who thinks for himself. I thought. I wish I had a voice like a trumpet so I could ring it in the ears of all the world that the beginning of all blessedness lies in this little root. Just as mighty oaks come out of little acorns, so the mighty and glorious tree of everlasting life grows out of this little seedling of personal thinking. It is because salvation, in the large meaning of that biblical expression, begins down there that the kingdom of God goes on so slowly. It is because there is no group work, no mass work, no priestly work, no getting into heaven in batches and squadrons and regiments, no tricks and magic, that you are not saved. It is because we must begin, every one of us, down here, that so few find everlasting life. Religion is not magic. It is a daylight business. It is open and honest, and it is done in the daylight of clear understanding. Bring your best mind with you when you come to hear God's word. While the stream of our sermon is flowing, the mill wheel of your thinking is going, but when the stream is shut off, 
when the sermon stops, how long does the wheel, the mill wheel of your personal independent thought about the things of God and your own eternal destiny, how long does it keep working? You cannot get anybody to do your thinking for you. It is not, I thought about the sermon, but I thought about my ways. No one can know the inmost thoughts of your heart. Your own soul is the issue at stake, and the thinking that will save it must be done by that soul's powers themselves. My text is not so easy if you take it properly. I do not doubt that people think that is a kind of cheap, almost flimsy utterance of Scripture. Is it? It is widening and deepening. There is room in it for the head and shoulders, the heart and the hands and the feet of an immortal man, and may God help you to put yourself right in. It needs a saved person to widen out verses 59 and 60 of Psalm 119 to their true and largest proportion. Yes, the beginning lies in personal thinking. I thought. I know quite well that in the affairs of this world many of us make it our boast. I think for myself. You are not led by the nose by anybody. You would not trust me to go around the corner with a message for you, and that is making your fortune. You are picking up a fortune from under the feet of careless, happy-go-lucky, easy-going mortals simply because you think for yourself. You do things for yourself. You set your own eyes on the problem, and you tackle it with your own teeth and your own fingers. However, the tremendous accusation that I have against some wise men and women is that in the things of their eternity, the devil himself might pity them because they are so absolutely destitute of serious personal thinking. Yes, I repeat it, the devil might pity them. They are so near, so close, and they would be right with just a little consideration. Yet they are such worlds away, for they never began to think for themselves about their own soul. You must do your own thinking, and turn your own soul, and go back to God on your own feet. We go astray, one by one, and we go back, each man separately, and each woman separately. Thinking about oneself now the next thing about this wonderful experience is that he not only thought for himself, but secondly he thought about himself. He basically said, I thought on my ways. Psalm 119, verse 59. He was a man who thought for himself, about himself. When one begins to set himself to do that, there is no more interesting subject for meditation to me than me. I am interested in you, and I'm interested in my friend, but I'm selfish enough to admit that John is a great subject of interest to McNeil, and we have often had little chats together. I wish we had more time to have more, and my danger is that I am neglecting my own ways for looking after yours. I thought on my ways. Now there is somebody here tonight who is losing the benefit of this sermon because even while I am talking, the devil is defeating you by this trick. While I am talking to you, you are looking across this building, either actually or mentally, at someone who is here, and the moment you meet outside, you will say, I'm glad you were here. That sermon was for you. You will say to them, I hope you listened to him. Didn't you see me looking at you? You do not get talked to like that every day. So, you see, the devil wins again. 
It is his trump card. Many times you are hoping that the other person is here and are hoping that they are thinking on their ways. Now be a little selfish and consider your own ways first. There is not a soul among us whose ways do not need mending and ending. There is not one of us who could not be somewhat improved. We must directly face God with our backs right up against death and hell. Or if you are not looking at somebody, you are losing the benefit of this because your mind is turning thoughtfully back to your own house or the house of a friend who was not here, and you will rush away to them, and when you see them, you will say, Oh, I'm so sorry you were not there. It just would have fit you to a T. There it is again. Now, before you rush to your friend, I wish you would put your own ways right. Do you think, my decent friend, that you are right yourself? Are you? Maybe your friend is bad, and he very likely already knows that himself. He wants to know how to be put right, and he wants you to tell him. But you have never told him yet. That is the dry rot of practical religion. I thought on my ways. Oh, speak to your own heart. You do not need a hundred of the best books to do this kind of thinking. You do not need a library or the benefit of clergy at all. But sit down with your own conscience and your own record. Sit down and put your own soul in a corner. Talk to your heart. Say to yourself, My soul, I must speak with you. Listen. Say to yourself, John, answer me. Where do you think a man in your situation and knowledge will end up? Soul, you have been tricking me. Soul, you have been avoiding this. You have been ignoring eternal truths. But I will have you listen now. That is how you talk to yourself. May God help you preach to yourself a sermon that no mortal minister can ever preach. Let memory bring out of past years what memory contains of your own life. Talk to yourself until your face grows white with fear upon your bed. Do not lose your soul because I or some other poor minister cannot work miracles and preach a soul-awakening sermon and say the tremendously personal stirring things that only God and your own heart know. Talk to yourself, and you will be converted before night, unless you are a fool. Three Channels of Personal Thinking When a person begins to think about his ways, there are three channels into which he may turn the direction of his personal, independent thinking. First, who am I? The Bible and my own conscience give the only and the sure answer to the question, what is man? Philosophy and science cannot tell. Between the covers of the Bible, I can learn that I am an immortal soul, a living, thinking, spiritual being surrounded by the material for a while, but rising above it. God breathed into our nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Genesis 2, verse 7. Born never, never to go out of existence. Secondly, where am I? You are on the most uncertain footing you can imagine. You are here today and gone tomorrow. Scripture. Man dieth and wasteth away, yea, man giveth up the ghosts, and where is he? Job 14, verse 10. A little while ago, a wave out of the past eternity 
casts us up like driftwood on the shores of time, and a little while ahead, a wave from the eternity that is coming will carry us into the future. We cannot be certain of twenty-four hours ahead, such is the life of men. God grant that we may shape ourselves for the great eternity. An elderly man said long ago, Turn to God the day before you die. But, said his disciples, we do not know the day of our death. Therefore, he replied, turn to God today. Thirdly, where am I going? The Bible tells us that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Think of it. Every individual soul must appear in the blinding blaze of light that streams from the judgment seat of Christ. That is where we are going first, and then the eternal doom. Heaven or hell? We will see him, and he will say, Come, ye blessed, Matthew 25, 34, or depart from me, ye cursed, Matthew 25, verse 41. May God grant that we may not fear to meet Jesus. A Practical Thinker Further, I want you to notice another point. This is a man who not only thought upon himself and about himself, but in the third place, he was a practical thinker. He said, I thought on my ways and turned my feet. We look at God's words as if they were nothing, and we take and roll them under our tongue until they get smooth and thin. The coin grows smooth in traffic current past till Caesar's image is effaced at last. He was a practical thinker, for he said, I turned my feet. This sermon will go the way of so many you have heard, unless some, and I will neither call you a saint, nor a sinner, nor a backslider, I will just call you brother, man, and sister, woman, will say, Soul, will you turn now? I thought on my ways, and turned my feet. The young prodigal could have sat and felt sorry for himself with the grunting swine until he had died. He not only deplored himself and called himself a fool and formed good resolutions, but he rose on the same two feet that led him away, trudged back again to his father, and became a humbler youth. And that is the point. What is the great difficulty in conversion? I will tell you in a word. It is simply because it is going back. It is a humbling thing to admit that you need to turn and that the evangelical preachers were right and you were a conceited fool. Now that is humbling. Why is it that with some of you dear decent people who are turned, shall I say, 40 years of age and have a good character, credit, and reputation, especially of a church-going and chapel-going kind, why is it that the likelihood of your genuine conversion to God, you are not converted yet, and you know it, becomes less and less every year? I will tell you why. It is because it would be so humbling. You have dared to speak about real living religion. You have dared to say something like this. Ah, I don't believe in these people who go about saying that they are saved. I know people can do that foolishly, but it is not all folly and the thing's right at bottom. If you get converted, you will see. It will come out. It cannot be hidden. It will tell in a thousand ways before next Sunday. You will tell it yourself, and then we will all understand. 
That is what the devil is whispering in someone's ear while I am at the other. You are just about ready to go my way, but the devil whispers, Everyone will hear about this, and we will all understand that when you dare to criticize converted people, you are as much worth listening to as a blind man who would talk about painting, or as a deaf man who would talk about music. You are rambling about things that are as high as heaven above you, and as deep as hell beneath your shallow soul. But as bitter as the experience may be, God will help you to go through it. It is a bitter pill to be converted, but just like the young fellow going home, notice that he was wrestling with himself beside the grunting swine. Many poor prodigals do not come back, and it is pride that keeps them in the gutter. I will not give in. I will not go home to my father. I may become impoverished and battered and ragged, but I will never go back. And he dies in the swine-tub. See that you are not like him. If you get bitter pills from your doctor, he will very likely give you advice with them. Never chew your pills. Don't take time to think about them. I thought on my ways and turned. I wish I could make it plainer, but you see that I cannot. The feet, those outgoing energies, those powers, or symbols of the powers, by the which I carry myself beyond myself to actions and customs and places, those powers that the world and the flesh and the devil use, are precisely the powers by which I go back to God. The poor prodigal went back on the same feet, bare, bleeding, torn, tanned, and limping, but he went back. I see him that night, after the feast, when he sat down before he went to bed, and looked at himself, and saw what a wreck he was. But he said, Bless God, I am home. Bless God, I am back. Saved. Hallelujah. Home. Home. All that dark and scorching path is behind me, and heaven and peace and a welcome are all around me. My friend, turn your feet. That's the thing. May God hurry you to do it. As old Richard Baxter said, It is turn or burn. A turning point. There are two things. There is a turning point and there is a turning time. What is the turning point in your outward bound life? I will tell you. Every summer in London we took our Sunday school children out to the country, and when we had the little creatures there out on the grand field, they ran races with us and themselves. We had the little ones in a line, and then I went away down the field. Then I yelled back to the intending runners and said, I am the turning post. You run out to me, run around me, and then run back in as fast as you can to the finish line. I didn't see any little runners that afternoon going about like geese asking, Where is the turning point? Where are we to turn? They could not mistake me. What is the turning point in every hell-bound life? It is a man, and Jesus Christ is such a man, standing between us and the hell we want to avoid and deserve to be in, saying to us, Don't go down there. It's a terrible road. Turn ye... Turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die? As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. 
Ezekiel 33, verse 11. That is an oath from God. Live, you say? If I turn to God, he will kill me. If I turn to God and become religious, it is death. No, it is not. He says, turn unto me and live. Live. That is the turning point. Jesus Christ, there, before your mind, as visible to your understanding as this book is to your face, and far more powerful. Don't you almost feel the pat of his hand on your shoulder as he tries to stop you and say, Turn, stop at me, and go back with me to my father and your father, my heaven and your home. Decide for Christ. Stop at Christ. In evil long I took the light, unawed by guilt or fear, till a new object bit my sight and stopped my wild career. I saw one hanging on the cross in agonies and blood, who fixed his dying eyes on me as near that cross I stood. Ah, that is the sight to stop you. Until you have seen Christ on the cross, you will cheerfully go to the devil, and you will take your own way to him. But that is the essence of it. You may say, it is not, but that is where it ends. However, when your eyes open to see Jesus, you cannot go past him. May it be done now. Stop and turn at the living Christ who once died and now lives to convert you and save you. A turning time. He said, I made haste and delayed not. There is a turning point, and it is Christ. There is a turning time, and it is now. Quicker than now, if I could express it. I made haste and delayed not. He said it twice. He is so anxious to bring out the necessity of a speedy decision, firmness, and a stand taken that he says, I made haste and delayed not. That includes sharpness and promptitude. Young fellow, look here. Suppose this was an address upon success in life. What divisions would I have taken other than the same divisions that I have taken here? If you want to be successful in life, think for yourself about your own business. Be practical and prompt. When you have surveyed the field, make the risk. In all legitimate dealing, there is a point where the risk has to be run. So with eternity, be prompt. Now. I made haste and delayed not. Instantaneous Conversion Somebody may object and say, But preacher, that is too sudden. That is instantaneous conversion, and you know, preacher, I have often spoken against instantaneous conversion. But I know you have often spoken about things you know nothing about. That is your trouble. Instantaneous conversion, my friend, your objection is futile. When you fell into the lake last summer, I think you wanted instantaneous salvation from drowning, didn't you? And I rather think you were in earnest about it. Another of your statements is that you object to earnestness in religion. But that day you cried out earnestly to be saved from drowning. It wasn't a very artistic performance, but there was a fine whole-souled earnestness about it. If you had the same concern about your soul, you would be hurt in heaven, and God's right arm would save you. Instantaneous conversion, that is what we want from earthly dangers. You do not want a committee to go and stand by the edge of the lake and discuss the situation, and then appoint a subcommittee with a chairman to make an interim report. You do not want anybody to go and say, You fool, how did you get in there? 
No, instead, you want somebody to go and pull you out first, and afterwards discuss the folly or otherwise of getting in. That is what I am doing now. Suppose I said, Yes, you are right. You are such a cantankerous, twisted old sinner. You are so utterly crooked that God cannot put you straight in less than twenty-four hours of stretching on the tender hooks of remorse and agony for your sin. Oh, how quickly you would reply to me and say, Preacher, that is no salvation at all. Before twenty-four hours I may be dead and doomed. Can't I be saved now? And it is infinitely low, to give it no other name, to object to the only cure. One spring I was in Plymouth on the south of England. Standing there, where you can look away out to Eddystone Lighthouse, I saw a thousand soldiers gathered on the parade ground. By one voice of command, these thousand men, every man of whom wore his head above his shoulder, every man had his own arms and limbs and intellectual and moral powers and faculties, a thousand men were going in one direction, when at the voice of one man a thousand men stopped. You say, many men, many minds. Ah, but not in the army. You'll be shot in the army for your independent criticism. Many men, one mind, if you are wise. A thousand men stopped. At another voice of command, a thousand men turned completely around in the opposite direction, and at another pealing cry, quicker than I am taking the time to tell it, a thousand individuals, intelligent men, were walking in a direction completely opposite to that which they had taken sixty seconds before. Will man have such power over man, and will not God have power to stop, to turn from darkness into light, the creatures who lie in his hand, like clay on the potter's wheel? We are only clay, but God pity us, we are rebellious clay. Oh, while God is appealing, yield to the appeal of omnipotence. If you let God stop you, you will be stopped and turned. Decide now. Don't you hear the footsteps of death coming quickly behind you? In such an hour as you think not, Matthew 24, verse 44, death will spring upon you, and how will it be with you then? What if you have the experience of John Patton, the missionary to the New Hebrides? Suppose you had been his wife, and were there absorbed in your own work and in your husband's work, full of life and full of hope, when suddenly from behind a savage buried a tomahawk in your back, and with another stroke nearly severed your head from the body. Death, whether it comes soon or late, tomahawks us suddenly like that. Make haste. Let there be no delay in turning to God. Decide for Christ, now. Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. Turn, turn, for why will you die? 